Hello, welcome to Laminiforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Laminiforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by Eleni Sutter, the singer and primary songwriter for Bismuthi. Bismuthi's debut album, Tipota, is difficult to describe in the best of ways. Over four tracks, Sutter and her top-notch band mix neo-soul-influenced R&B with Greek folk music, psychedelic soundscapes, and hard progressive funk grooves. It is, without a doubt, a lot to take in on first listen. But all of this musical excess is in support of Sutter's fearless self-expression. Over the course of our conversation, we discuss the formation of Bismuthi's live band, Sutter's early influences in classical and jazz music, and the lyrical inspiration for the album. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you so much for listening. It's been such an interesting process watching you put this album out because typically when I'm watching, you know, some of my friends, it'll just be like, surprise, announce of the album. His, there's the date that it's coming out, mm. you know, not very much in between. You don't really get any behind the scenes looks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But what I've been really impressed with, besides the music itself, which I really love, is the way that you've kind of brought everyone into the process, you know? Like, cool. you're really, really open about how you make the music and how the music is coming along. And you're, you know, sharing, like, works in progress and all that. And oh. uh, it's a really, it's been really interesting to, like, watch you do that. That's that's really cool. I'm really glad that it's come across that way. I feel like that's natural for me. And, I mean, to be perfectly blunt, I feel like there's, like, a pressure to constantly just be putting things out there. And mm-hmm. the fact that it just was taking so long was like okay well I've got to show people something of what I'm doing you know and I've got to just let them know that I'm still working on it and I don't want people to forget about me you know there's like a phobia out there of like not wanting people to forget about you but also I'm just super open and I'm not trying to you know kid anybody into thinking that everything's just like bing bang boom then I created a perfect thing it's like takes so much effort you have to go through so many feelings to just write the music and then so many more feelings to figure out the recording process and everything like that you said that you've been working on the record for a long time technically speaking when did you start writing this album oh technically speaking when did I start writing this what year would that have been not 2012 I want to say I wrote like the first sets of chords and the first ideas in like 2013 and so they became sort of this like these giant sort of snowball songs so um yeah so I would say like spring summer of 2013 and then slowly I would say like I wrote the last note of the more recent most recent song Probably in like the late winter of 2016. But in the in there, I was writing a lot of other small random music. So these songs are all 
super long and involved and kind of I don't know I don't even know how they ended up getting that long I don't know when I made the decision to make super long songs or anything like that it just happened sort of naturally but then in between there I was making smaller songs because I got a really nice looper machine and I got really into that and I was experimenting with that and writing tons of uh just little kind of filler songs and now I'm really excited to work on those and smaller Mm -hmm. tracks you know but I really do um I still do really stand behind those long songs and I'm gonna keep playing them and keep encouraging people to listen to them take the dive so you said that you were writing these other songs on the side it sounded like you had some sort of clear idea about which songs that you were writing were for this album and which ones were for something else I think it became clear on its own. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. it's premeditated, but then again, almost nothing I do is premeditated. So it's not that different than how any of the songs are written or how any of the rest of the process went. It's just kind of, it revealed itself that way. Like by the end of the second, by the end of the last song, I could tell that it was like, okay, there's... They're just snatched up, all four of them. There's just like four complete long songs done. I've already worked all the way through them, and they just went together. And so were you recording as you were writing, or was it were those two processes distinct from each other? Definitely distinct from each other, because I was way more excited by the idea of having a band and playing live. Mm-hmm. That That's what we were doing for the beginning of those songs' lives, is we were playing them live at shows. And mm-hmm. then we'd have nothing to give to people. So I was like, okay, at some point I'm going to have to tackle this beast. And I was avoiding recording. I mean, truth kind of comes out. I was totally avoiding it. It totally scared the bejesus out of me. I don't, something conceptually about it just like really messes with me in my brain. Is it like a finality thing? Like the idea that the song has to be like a finished product and mm-hmm. it's like, this is the only version mm-hmm. that could exist you know Absolutely. is it something like that mm-hmm. so were you then writing these songs to be performed live was that like your primary yeah. goal when you started writing them yeah totally totally so i'd say like a lot of the inspiration behind these songs is like what was fun for me and what i felt like i could play with in a live music setting you know because i i just had such little studio experience and that just wasn't something that i was focused on how do you think that affected the the writing process like do you think there are certain parts that were included specifically because of like what effect you wanted to have on an audience or what kind of it would feel like to play like live in a room mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh I had obviously I had kind of this weird lingering endeavor to try to make some weird time signatures sound good and danceable to people that aren't used to hearing odd time signatures you know mm-hmm. not just just inspired by cultures who make up dances to odd time meters and it feels Mm -hmm. so organic to them so I guess like that's kind of a mood that I have lingering and looming throughout the process and I was excited to try to kind of get that across in a live situation you know because then you can see instantly you can see who's dancing to it and who can bop to it or catch a little groove while you're playing a weird time signature you know you can instantly see your success if there is any 
<laughs> right. You don't have to wait for like people to write out any feedback or mm-hmm. listen to it any number of times. You can read it on their, their faces and their bodies, how mm-hmm. people are responding mm-hmm. to the music. And some people feel it inside their brains and won't dance to it. So I guess there's not, I can't account for those people, but there are some, you can see it mm-hmm. in the crowd, which is exciting. Did that also cause you to like revise the songs based on the reactions that you would get from mm-hmm. how people responded to the music after playing it live early, mm-hmm. early on? Mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah, but it was kind of more of like a dull sort of revision. It wasn't as, um, it wasn't s- like hyper analytical on a detailed level. It wasn't like I didn't see anybody dancing to this section, so we need to change it. It was like, the overarching vibe of the room right there didn't meet the expectations that I had for this section when I first had the idea for this section. So Mm -hmm. let's just play it a few more ways. You know, let's have a little brainstorming session about it. And when I say that, what I mean is that we would just like go to the space and play the section for like 15 minutes straight. (laughs) 15, that might be an exaggeration. Maybe like, seven minutes we would just play like one little section four and we would allow ourselves to kind of zone out and jam out on a section for a Mm -hmm. bunch of time and be like okay well maybe let's just and then we would pick our our little edit from there and so the you say the process was fairly collaborative then at those points yeah i mean those those are the times so i'd come in and i'd have you know uh idea on the baseline and the chords for sure chords for sure baseline for sure groove for sure but then once i'd get everybody playing it together it would sound like so so cool to have it on actual real life instruments that they'd start playing like other random stuff and i'd be like yeah do that you know mm-hmm. whatever you just did there do that and then it became more collaborative i already had quite a bit figured out before i came in but it became more collaborative at that point but then that changed mm-hmm. so much for during the recording process which was a little frustrating (laughs) but also mind-opening you know we had all these ways that after several years we'd figured out this is what feels the best when we play it this way live or feels um not as good and then we just come into the studio and it's like i don't think we're gonna be able to recreate the same vibe that this section has live so now we have to kind of reimagine it in a sort of dimension that has yet to be created you know we have to like carve its space out and carve its place out in space it's not as easy as when it's live and you're just using the momentum of a bunch of people in a room so how did you put together the uh the live band for this project oh it was a long time ago so (laughs) it's like two uh 2014 i guess it was 2014 or 2015 and they were all people actually that Parker knew. Parker, so Parker is producer, beat maker, drummer extraordinaire for the band. And I'm sure he has a lot to say on all this, but we'll get him next time. Maybe we'll get his whole own interview. But um, maybe I wouldn't count it out. You know, yes. I know he he makes his own music too, right? Yes, 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 yes. He does, and it's so so fabulous. Yeah, he's crazy. Um, crazy amazing genius so he had this band that he liked it's <laughs> actually kind of a funny story <laughs> so he had this band that he liked bonzo turks and um it's these four guys and we went to school with actually the saxophone player 
Keenan at Columbia. And so we went to see them and I had kind of like started talking to Parker about how I like wanted to start a band. And then we went to see Bonzo Turks just like in a, on a completely other page. We went to see Bonzo Turks and it was like really like, uh, so like noisy kind of like free jazz and occasionally they would hit like a really hard, amazing, like funky groove, but it was like gritty free jazz. And I was just like, no, I like looked at Parker. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, you know, just kind of like eye rolled it. And I think that a few weeks or months or so later, he like recommended, he was like, well, let's like, you know, play some of your music with these guys. And I'm like, the open for Bonzo Turks? Oh, uh, and like Luke was from Bonzo Turks. Luke's our bassist. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, like, I was so like free jazzy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and then the second time we went to go see them, for some reason, I, I had a totally different perspective going in, I guess, that day. But I was like obsessed with them the second time we went to go see them. And that was really fun. And I mean, obviously, Luke played amazing as the bass player. And I was like, yeah, for sure, if he wants to play. But of course, then at that point, I'm in college. I'm like, who the hell is going to want to play my music? Like, this is so dumb. Like, I'm so dumb. This is so dumb. Who's going to want to play my music? But Parker was like, he's Parker was cool with him. So I was like, okay, it's just chill. We're just friends. And like, and then we played with Luke for the first time. And Luke has like a really amazing overall attitude and just super positive. So I was like, okay, you know what? this is great. He's very enthusiastic, very positive. You know, this feels amazing. I'm not too self-conscious to share my ideas with this person. And he grooved right away. Then we tried a bunch of different drummers. Didn't work for whatever reason. Man, this is kind of hard to recall because now that I'm thinking about it, it was like Parker wasn't playing drums at the beginning. Parker was like playing bass at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that all happened. And yeah, so now that I'm recalling it, the uh, one of the parts of the original vision was to have two bass players just to sound like beefier and stuff. So I believe mm-hmm. Parker and Luke were both playing bass and we were trying out different drummers and then none of the drummers really stuck, but it was basically just me and Parker and Luke and then kind of like trying out different drummers. And then I was like, you know what? I don't think I really want to play keys. So I was like, we got to get another keys player. So then Danny from Bonzo Turks, that's where he comes in. And he's amazing. And now he's been in it since then. Then, because none of the drummers would stick, we rotated Parker to drummer. And we got Michael Cantella in as bass player. So Mm -hmm. then we had those two as bass players. And then started just the saga of like, rotating primary keys players because I then I found out I wanted two keys players so then we rotated um, primary keys players like Danny does more like spacey really cool like synth stuff and then I wanted somebody who would like hold down the chords so that Danny could also have freedom to like go off into crazy amazing analog synth worlds whenever he wanted to so you know, I was rotating between Christian Sweat and Kyle Liss for a long time because I was in Indigo Sun with Kyle and Michael. And then after just like so much musical chairs of like members of the groups, it settled on just Parker on drums, Luke on bass, Danny on those keys, those spacey keys, me on primary keys. And then we added haha, Carolina, the sauce, Trap Jesus sauce. 
we had Carolina Trap Jesus sauce, and she plays saxophone, clarinet, flute, and keys whenever necessary. And it's just like such an element that just uh, the whimsy is just like, oh, you know, it's just choir of angels when you hear a flute or a clarinet on something. Yes. Yeah. That was because I had seen, I think, maybe one of the like double keyboard double bass versions of the band at some point uh-huh. like back when I was still living in Chicago mm. and so when I finally heard the the recorded album and it had all these like woodwinds on it it like really kind of clarified a lot of your the arrangement ideas that was That's a really very cool. smart addition thank you I mean I feel like I was raised on classical music and on just like not just classical music but just a really wide array of music and sounds and I've always just loved cinematic noises and stuff and I think that just being raised you know I feel like I wasn't like free from the shackles of society enough to be like I could just use whatever sounds I want you know if you're in in terms of somebody being like you should start a band you're instantly like oh a drum kit and a bass player and maybe a guitar player and a keys player and a singer Mm -hmm. and it just took me a while to be like that's just not at all the formula for like what I'm personally inspired by you know and like having a winds player to just layer up clarinet sounds over whatever song you know or flute sounds it's just like opens up such a nice wall where things can get just like a tad more orchestral and just mm-hmm. really paint just a more like kind of like fairy tale-ish luscious picture yeah, but it is I'm more transportive that way, you know, mm-hmm. like it feels less like what my biggest fear when listening, uh, when working on my own music or when listening to someone else's product project is like, I never want it to just sound like four dudes with some amps, mm-hmm. you know, the best musical projects for me are ones where like the combination of all the sounds make me like picture something more than just people playing music. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it has a sort of transportive quality mm-hmm. to it, you know? Totally. Totally. There's yeah. long sections on this record where it's like, I don't know where I am. And that's really exciting. You know, that's so cool. <laughs> that's amazing. Awesome. Wow. Very cool. So you, you mentioned that what you were raised on classical music. Were you given classical lessons mm-hmm. growing up? You, you grew up playing piano. Is that mm-hmm. right? Spot on. Yes. Classical piano until, but like since before I could even choose piano. So, since like I think the age was four and a half something like mm-hmm. that four and a half um I don't know that's some age my mom tells me so she obviously assigned us that instrument she thought that it was most useful I kind of a few years down the road after that I really wanted to play the violin but we just never got around to it but mm-hmm. yeah grew up playing classical piano had a whole saga, emotional, psychological saga with <laughs> classical piano. Obviously, it involves a lot of practicing. And I'm not exactly somebody who practices things methodically by nature. But just having lessons involved was really cool. Got me to achieve some really, really awesome stuff. Got me to all those harmonies and sharp rhythms. You know, you have to kind of like create like a like world in classical music you know you have to like soak people in i don't know i don't know Mm -hmm. how to describe that you probably have better words for that than i do but you're in charge of the rhythm if you're playing classical piano you're in charge of the whole thing so you have to like it's almost like a viscous vibe you know you're like as you know when you see pianists and they like 
stuff and like are very dramatic when they pause and like it's almost like they're moving through the liquid of the song right yes so yeah it raised me to really like like sharp sound clean sounds and if you're gonna like go for something like try to make it sharp mm-hmm. and like don't be afraid of density and complication and like super composing in depth mm-hmm. so obviously this record and this moody in general is not a classical project there's a whole lot of other influences <laughs> in there too so outside of taking classical lessons what were some like early formative influences for you growing up stevie wonder for sure mm-hmm. i love stevie wonder to death and honestly just while we're on stevie wonder i might as well just step to the side and mention ray charles because he just really i feel like he gets it bumping ray charles does so and i say those first because my mom was always listening to oldies so like the first if we're going in chronological order listening to the radio with my mom those were the songs that really like stuck out to me but also then weird songs like ode to billy joe by bobby gentry which is like a spooky Mm. kind of storytelling like very eerie kind of cinematic vibe so it's like i loved these luscious kind of theory heavy stuff but then i also loved like an intense mood so then i would go on to Well, then I just loved what every little girl in the 2000s loved. But also a really song that made me go, huh, was like Doo-Wop by Lauryn Hill. Mm-hmm. That was a really like poignant song in my life. Um, the sound really attracted me. when, And I remember being like eight years old, you know, when you're just like, I don't know what it is about this song, but I'm just feeling it and you're like still a little kid but you're like oh what is this it sounds so good <laughs> i felt the same way about hit em up style by blue Cantrell. do you remember that song it's like hey man. ladies when you man gonna get buck wild it's you'll look it up i'm sure i'm sure i've heard it like at some like middle school dance or something exactly something like so that, that yeah. r&b stuff in like the 2000s just pretty much current r&b in the late 90s and early 2000s just you know usher Love the crap out of Usher. Um, and then I started to discover more like D'Angelo and Neo Soul stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was more in high school. But then also I started discovering jazz and jazz piano, which is, you know, not really experimental like bebop stuff, but just like, you know, nice like Bill Evans stuff, which is a nice like middle ground, which is. You know, I could I could feel the influences that were coming from classical music, but I could also feel that it was blurring into something new, you know, mm-hmm. and Debussy is my favorite classical composer for sure. And I feel like there's this there's this kind of like step by step pathway that kind of goes from like Debussy and Ravel, which were more like it's all got this kind of dreamy quality to it, you know, dreamy, lush chords. WC and Ravel, like they're using a lot of the exact same chords that, you know, Bill Evans and the jazz pianist guys were doing, but they're just playing them with different rhythms. Right. You know, they're just not, they're not being super, not being as groovy with the rhythms. So then Mm -hmm. I found jazz piano and I was like, wow, this is like a mix of everything I love. Because I always loved, you know, just r&b you know i can't even explain it just like straight up r&b that just has those like juicy grooves who else 
obviously um okay i fell in love with mama's gun by erica badu that was not until college but i fell in love with that album and i listened to it over and 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 over again so yeah, I feel like there was definitely like a big erica badu like wave that went through columbia i feel like yeah mo- most of us went through some sort of neo soul oh yeah epiphany in those years yeah because it's got such a I feel like it's very complex, but it's also so like organic and natural. And that's mm-hmm. what's so like beautiful about the evolution of genres of music. It's that like it's just it was kind of like naturally the next step, even though it's so complex. It was naturally mm-hmm. the next step. You also started singing at some point during all of this. You were oh, just yeah, playing yeah, piano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So singing and dancing has pretty much been since day one. Uh-huh. Like as soon as I could just start making noise i would start mimicking melodies Mm -hmm. so yeah just and i love dancing so like music that you can make within your body which is just singing and dancing to me is like music it's just like just sending like movement impulses to your limbs to the rhythm and that's what you went to school for right you went to columbia as a vocal were you a vocal major or were you i think i was technically a cut major Uh uh-huh Right. Um, I did continue with piano, though, keyboard, and I then I did voice, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and then but I focused a lot on music theory and jazz. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to do like really kind of like standard poppy music, but I thought that major kind of like left a lot of space open for me to actually do what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of fill the rest of the space with my exact classes that I wanted to be a part of. How do you feel like having more formal training in, you know, music theory or music performance? How how has that affected the process of writing for Bismuthy? Well, <laughs> you just being able to study the masters. Some of them you're going to be like okay, well, this part of this music doesn't really touch me. But then going through all of that studying, you're going to find some parts of some music that really touch you. And to be able, I'm all about like trying to put the science behind those emotions. So the emotions that music can get out of you, like exactly what movements did they make Mm -hmm. to pull those emotions out of us. So... I liked being able to pinpoint the fact I'm going to get super nerdy for any music nerds that are going to listen to this. Like I really loved, and this was in my like junior high piano training. I loved being able to isolate the fact that a flat six was going to make the, the four chord like so much more emotional leading to the one chord. Like mm-hmm. I was like, okay, wait, you know, I remember hearing it hearing it in a song and being like, I have to ask my teacher about this because I want to know exactly what chords made this feeling. Like, so that minor four going to one is just like so nostalgic, so emotional and almost like without fail, you know, like across a lot of cultures, it's that way. So Mm -hmm. I think I got kind of addicted to that sort of like sleuthing of how to find, you know, what's the secret? You know, it's the, how do I get those super amazing feelings? I'm like, oh, Lydian scale. It's the one that people, the movies use to make it sound like a dream, you know? Like, it's like, oh, the secrets, (laughs) you know? I want to learn the trade secrets. And then you kind of have like a sense of 
you almost have like a bit of control over people when you can just insert those things anywhere and people will just be kind of triggered mentally. So. Yeah, I feel like it's like specifically that idea of, you know, like using specific modes that people associate with like watching the movies or uh -huh. like you're kind of like building on people's previous listening experience. Mm -hmm. And you can like exploit that you yeah. know, for your own ends. Like they already associate these kind of chord progressions or these particular like harmonic shifts with certain feelings because of a lifetime of listening. And now oh. you can like speak that language, you know? Yeah. Yes. And then there are also things that are just very primal, like like a one and a five, like the, the harmonic waves between the one and the five of a scale are always going to match up beautifully and they're always going to make these nice shapes if you track those waves they're always going to make nice little swirly wavy beautiful like infinity fractal shit going on but you said like yeah you can exploit basically exploit these things that society has already set up for people to feel a certain way about and it's like yes and then also knowing how knowing the secrets behind these little you know the movie tricks or whatever for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, you can also kind of like tweak them and see what happens when you just tweak them just ever so slightly and like, like kind of like spoon feed a new concept to everybody. You know, it's like, OK, I'm going to mm -hmm. give you something that you're already very comfortable with. I'm just going to change it a little or put it over something maybe slightly different that you've never heard it over before and then maybe like we'll see where we can go from there. Like maybe that'll just even open <laughs> even open even more doors to us <laughs> you know one of the things that uh particularly you know I was, just, I was just listening to the record before giving you this call and i was thinking about how like i guess as a song it has it, you are using these kind of like tonal shifts to tell the story like it's not just like cool sounds for the sake of cool sounds like you oh, are for sure. yeah it's like, almost cliche yeah it it feel like it's funny because that sort of stuff feels obvious, but it it feels obvious because it works, you know, exactly. on people. Uh, yeah, I know exactly, and I feel like as like you're trained to not be cliche, but cliches can be fun, you know. It's almost it's like kind of theatery, mm -hmm. a little bit, you know. You can go over the edge, but also cliches can be evocative. And if you put them right next to something brand new, it's like, ah, wait. So did you have that sort of narrative arc for that song set out as you started writing or was that something that naturally like occurred through the process? Uh, yeah, I would say I did have kind of that narrative set out it. Um, but <laughs> this is kind of like a timely conversation because everybody's talking about how like some people have an inner dialogue that's like verbal and some people don't that's like a conversation that's going around whatever twitter instagram facebook and like mm -hmm. i'm one of the people that doesn't and so when you say like was this narrative set out it's like i did not explicitly set out the narrative but i knew what the feeling was going to be and in that it's like so to me like emotions have this sort of shape of like when you're when you're realizing that you're triggered to feel the emotion then when you're on the upswing of the emotion then when you're in like the middle of the emotion then when you your rationality starts to kick in and it's like okay well what are we going to do about it and then your emotion starts to fizzle and then you kind of you're past it and you're into like more like decision making mode mm -hmm. 
And so when I feel like when I'm inspired, you know, that hook kind of like, oh, this was so, this was a great writing experience. I loved writing this song. <laughs> I actually loved writing all of these songs, but um, they were just, it was great. Um, I wrote the piano part as kind of this more like arpeggiated thing that was resolving. And then I started playing it more broken in this sort of, sort of like rhythmic chordal thing. And the hook sort of just like came to me one day. It was so weird, actually. I wrote this. I wrote the first words are like wildebeest dip down, sip from the radio action. Those are the first words. And then I went to my friend's house and he literally had a will like for the first time and he had a wildebeest head hanging on his wall. Like I went to his house that day and I was like, this is so weird. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That's not the first time that like crazy psychic shit has happened to me. <laughs> I would take, I'm in past the point of synchronicity. I think it's something, I think it's meaningful synchronicity. And mm -hmm. so then the hook kind of came to me and I was like, oh my God, okay, there's no going back. And I wrote it with the like built in Yamaha beat on the piano <laughs> So I, I, yeah, and the Yamaha beat had this like really amazing triangle sound in it that was just like made it so boppy. Like it sounded kind of like Britney Spears ish, like the little like fakey triangle sound in the back, like ding, 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 and and it just like had to be this popish sound. And then the words came out automatically, and the vibe of the I guess I'm liberated thought is like. Okay, there's definitely something cheeky about this. And like whose idea of liberation, but like all the boxes are ticked, you know, I should be liberated. If you're gonna make a formula for liberation, like of all people I should be considered liberated. But um I <clears throat> then like there's this little bitterness and little cheekiness that comes with that because you're like, fuck that, I go through the same bullshit that even the least quote unquote liberated people go through and the same emotional emotional turmoils and inner dialogue and all that crazy inner space and so then I knew I wanted like this middle movement and the end of it to kind of represent like what a chaotic place the inside of the brain is and how like especially if you have some sort of um you know mental health hurdles that you're trying to overcome you can feel like you're in a very intense, complicated echo chamber, echo chamber in the inside of your brain. Any brain can. The, the song is like really brilliant in the way that it contrasts like surface versus internal life, which is what I was getting from it. You know, like the that's hook awesome. is almost like the face that's like being presented to other people, mm -hmm. like the external life. And then all of the other parts are kind of these like inward explorations of like what's going on behind that like mask, mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm hmm. That's so cool. I'm so glad you said that. Excellent. I'm glad <laughs> that I was on the right wavelength. That. <laughs> so I'd like to cover the other three songs in uh, in some detail as well, uh, cool. just because one of the, the cool things about the record is I actually always find, maybe it's just because I'm like a prog guy, but records that have fewer songs that are longer are, are almost easier for me to wrap my head around because it's like, oh, this is one idea. It's a big idea, but <laughs> it's like there's only four <laughs> 
you know, thoughts. They may be complicated thoughts, but it's like easier for me to like. <laughs> I'm work sorry, I just have to sidestep. Like, I just sure. have to do a little tangent because I think about this way. I do a lot of music with babies, and at the end of the music sessions with the babies, we do bubbles. And I have two separate ways of doing bubbles. I can do the machine, which creates a lot of small bubbles, or I can mm-hmm. do them manually, which create bigger more luxurious bubbles that are just like you can focus on one bubble at a time and i can see how each different type of bubble like bubble method has a good benefit for the child's brain like i'm watching them i'm like oh this one helps you pay attention to a lot of things coming at you like a swarm and then this one helps you pay attention to each one and it's just like such a metaphor for what you just said about the track yeah these are these are some large bubbles that you got going large on bubbles. here large luxurious bubbles yeah. yeah the opening track zygote fuzz mm-hmm. to me it feels like if you had a, you ever see those bubbles that look like they're like multiple different bubbles that yes. are all kind of connected yeah that's how this one feels to oh, me it feels yeah. like like a song suite like were mm. all of these ideas originally meant to go together or was it kind of like pick and choose various chunks and some like stitching involved okay well a section yeah yeah for sure b section kind of found its way in there so when i say the a section i mean that the seven section seven section and seven at the beginning and then when i use those same chords and i go into the 13 section so We've got the same group of chords. We've got them in seven, and then we've got a little breakdown, and then we've got them in 13. All right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so that's all one section to me. That's all the A section because they have the same chords. So those definitely all went together, and they were always meant together. B section kind of found its way in, and that's when we go into this slow sort of halftime thing. And then the B section sort of took over. So there's a very stark change. Uh, when is it in that song? Is it at like six minutes maybe Roughly, seven minutes yeah. six or seven minutes is when it drops into that halftime groove and just starts going like real slow and real you know stark it's very there's not a lot of noises going on just real stark with the vocals and the beat and then that section sort of took it till the end but we do mm-hmm. a little recapitulation of the chords from the a section at the very end just for a little dun, dun, dun. A little like flash, you know, a little flash at the end. Mm-hmm. Woo! Bring it all back. Yeah, exactly. Right, like the the dancey part that starts uh-huh. around like minute ten or so. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. It's my favorite. <laughs> might be my favorite part of the whole record. Like when that kicks in, it's just like, oh god. <laughs> like, it's it's very satisfying to have like you know you're describing this song that goes through like a bunch of odd time signatures and like these very drastic changes and at the end it all locks together for this like not obvious but uh. like super impactful groove i i like like i know i know i can't i feel like i really i'm one of those musicians slash songwriters or whatever artists whatever you want to say that feels very much like i don't even feel like i could take credit for any of that you know i feel like that the things are just coming through me like Mm -hmm. that was one of those moments where i just like surrendered my creative brain to whatever wanted to come through me and that's what came out and i was like wow universe you had something to say right there and you made it very clear yeah when it comes all back at the end that's very it's definitely one of my favorite moments of any music ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so it's also divided up into several sections lyrically what are the various threads that you're you're pulling out there so this is this is the closest thing to a love song on the record. This is definitely about like the way 
love changes you. And I feel like it could it could be about the love between any two things. I don't feel like it's about my love for the entire world. I feel like it's about a very like intimate personal love. I feel like it's the love between two things, between two individual things. The beginning is just sort of like when you're starting to feel the feelings. It's kind of like that first like just like tingle of feelings and you're like this is weird, this is different and this feels like it's going to change my life. So the lyrics natural diaspora <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm tickling right on my back pulling me to pressure change fluttering between my legs hiding in some sweet distant axiom I bite my lip echoing time to get grown isolate from the bullshit. So that's just like all the things that any sort of impactful love would make you feel. You know, it starts to make you question things. And then it says, I don't remember uh, what's hanging in the balance. I don't remember what's hanging in the balance. A flock of birds as it rides the wind's curves needs no legislation. And so it's like, you know, you start to get dizzy when you're pressured to question yourself. So that's what that's pretty much about. And then I repeat that. And then the next part is... um pretty just like visceral feelings that you feel about the person you love that's what that Mm -hmm. section's about it's like and i say visceral in the first section in a visceral state of reunion you heat me up so that's literally like when you're being reunited with the person that you have these intense feelings for it's a visceral feeling and i'm shy like a bushy fox or my soul's on a megatron you know makes you sweat blush stuff like that it sounds very like grounded in like the physical experience. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, definitely that section is, and the rest. Of, I mean, like I could keep saying the lyrics, but you could just listen to them or read them or whatever. It's mm-hmm. pretty much that whole section is like that. And then the next section is more so about like feeling freaked out about the fact that you have to say kind of like goodbye to your life before that relationship because your life's right. never going to be the same again. And it's kind of like you're putting me through this new territory. I'm kind of a little bit frustrated, actually, because I don't know what to do in this new territory all the time. And like sometimes I feel freaked out. Sometimes I feel like a freak. Sometimes I feel alone. So that's kind of like the more troubling middle part where you Mm -hmm. have to you have to say goodbye to your old self. You're kind of annoyed because you're disoriented. You're kind of frustrated. It's not always going well. But then at the end, it's like, it's amazing because it pretty much explodes your brain and opens you up to an amazing new perspective on stuff. And that also follows the same arc of the music itself, you know, where yes. it like has to dip down and have yes. the sort of anxiety and hesitation before you can like burst through that into something transformative yeah. and like ecstatic. Yes. Oh my God. Exactly. So like the, the sparser part is totally about that hesitation when you're just kind of like, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. Like there's a lot of open space in that section, which is exactly meant to portray that exact feeling where you're like, wait, stop. You have to check in with yourself every five seconds. Cause you're like, does everybody think I'm being an idiot? Is everybody going to say, I told you so when this ends up in shambles, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, I always have to check myself and then it goes into an almost like grueling instrumental section which is like almost just too long you know of course a lot of people would say it's it is too long but in my opinion it's like almost too long and you're almost about to quit then it goes back Mm. into hesitation time and then it breaks through into amazing groove time and you're like no 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 this is amazing this is what life is about (laughs) going back to the odd time signatures at the top of the tune um, you mentioned earlier on that you have like an interest in in odd times. Where where did that interest come from? 
Oh, for sure. Uh, Greek dancing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Greek dancing. Um, I'm half Greek and I was raised in Greek culture. I was raised Greek dancing and in Greek church. And I love dancing. So I immediately wanted to learn the Greek dance that everybody was doing, the big circle dances and stuff. And the first one you learn is in is in seven. Mm-hmm. And you do your steps along with it. But then my mom, this is so funny. She didn't even realize that I would be like cross-examining this when I was older. She taught this to me when I was like nine or something or eight or nine. And then <laughs> so she would be like, oh, it's the 10 step dance. And so I'm like, oh, cool. It was like 10 beats. But then she taught it to me and she teaches me just by the count of the steps. You know, it has nothing to do with how many beats per measure or anything like that. They're just using right. the counts of the steps. And then you just listen to the music. And then now that I'm older, I was like, oh, 10 steps. So it's probably in five. And I was like, oh, my God, no, this song is in seven. They just break it up weird. So all of that, you know, I would always be through all of my classical training and my, you know, um, formal music theory classes. I would always be kind of like referencing back to this Greek music and be like, wait, you know, ah, like and then the Greek music would have like dominant sevens in it you know or like a Mm -hmm. little mixolydian action and stuff like that so i'd be also analyzing the modes and but we were talking about time signatures but anyway it comes from the dancing and it comes from my fascination with the fact that these like folk quote-unquote folk cultures of europe which i was closely you know entwined with can sort of feel so natural about nine like key signatures or time signatures in nine or seven, you know, not the mm-hmm. the blues of the country, like basically the quote unquote blues equivalent of Greece, which is like the music that was in the country, like rural areas was it's all in nine and it's like a weird nine. It's like a slow nine. It's like one, hey one then you're back at one and you're like what (laughs) where does that hey come in (laughs) hey then you're back at one and like they do all these crazy complicated things in the middle too to throw you off but it's normal for them so i was always fascinated by making those time signatures like sound danceable and how they Mm -hmm. get how how they do it I hear a similar approach to even when you are playing in 4-4, like where you decide to put rhythms or like you're inserting triplets in unexpected places. And yeah, it's, it's like you're making odd time signatures more danceable and quote unquote normal time signatures or like standard time signatures <laughs> more fucked up <laughs> in some way. Ah, <laughs> uh, dang it. Dang it, but I guess we do. I guess we do some of those fun. And some of those come from, like, rehearsal, you know? We'll just, like, do, like, we'll be like, oh, let's do a quintuplet here, like, in the middle of, like, a very standardy kind of, like, 4-4 groove, and then we do a quintuplet. And to us, because we've all been playing music for a while, we're like, oh, that's totally normal. And then people are like, <laughs> whoa, you guys put all this crazy stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes to show that, like, there's there's the idea of what normal is also is so, like, culturally informed, you know? Yeah. Like, the the idea of what a standard time signature is is, like, this, like, very, like, academic. It's, like, assuming a kind of, like, 
cultural consistency that just isn't true, you know? Right. Like, pe- pe- when people think of like, oh, four four is like what folk music is in, but it's like, nah, not r- not everywhere. You like know? almost. Almost nowhere <laughs> besides <Yeah>. America. <laughs> it's actually really crazy how many people like I when I when I found the word folk, I thought I found this amazing out for like the genre that I was going to call Biz Moody. Because I was like, oh, yes, folk, because it is Greek folk music, you know. And then immediately the first person I told it to was like, well, this doesn't sound at all like folk music, you know, like. And then Bob they start saying like shit. Peter, yeah. Paul and Mary and Bob Dylan. Yes. And I'm like, no. Now what do I say? You know, but it it's really crazy. And I'm I I'll be honest, I think that Columbia did a great job kind of like showing us. I already knew because of the whole Greek thing and I was but I never thought of it so sociologically, you know. I was just like, "Oh, cool. You know, this is my culture's dance and da 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 da." da. And then I was like, "Dang." Every other culture is not America. <laughs> like every other right. culture is not American culture. The effect that we have on music is so crazy right now. It's really crazy. But this is a small tangent. I do think that other cultures are getting their native musical voice out there and i think it is getting worked into what america is putting out you know it's Mm -hmm. starting to do the slosh back it's like oh my god everybody was obsessed with america for a little while and we like just outpour 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 and like maybe some people would get some influences from some quote-unquote exotic place that they visited or some shit like that and then but now it's like a full slosh back effect is happening and like all the cultures with more complicated even just more complicated accenting structures on their rhythms are starting to work Mm -hmm. their way back into american culture and i mean i could go off on a whole tangent about this but i love i love that it's happening i think that it's it's forcing spice into our life (laughs) there's like the the main thing i always think about like here in new york um you hear like a ton of music coming out of like speakers of cars and you know parties and just mm. all over the place that's like from the like West Indies and mm. the Caribbean or from mm. like Puerto Rico mm. and that's one of the things that I didn't realize like I didn't hear as much in Chicago comparatively mm. like I feel like since moving back it's like so much more reggaeton and like I'm so uh, jealous that's like amazing. Dominican music <gasps> it's just like Oh shit! Like uh, this is a much more part of like the American music fabric than you would expect. But that's it's, amazing. You know, yeah. I, I think it, it, a friend of mine once described this process in ter- like the effect of colonialism on British music, like the empire returning to England, and how like uh, Jamaican music and you know Indian music had this you know huge effect on the sounds of like British music as a result, like dub and reggae you know yeah. influencing like drum and bass and jungle dance yeah. music or yeah like, the sort of like raga psychedelic stuff that came out of england is so inspired because of its connection you know oh my gosh colonialism to india you know wow uh, yeah i mean totally absolutely most recently <laughs> this is like i'm not the biggest like i don't listen to music all the time i'm not constantly like seeing what's out there and everything but a a artist that did make their way has made their way to the forefront of my listening experiences jidenna 
who works, mm-hmm. you know, with Janelle Monet or came up with Janelle Monet. And, but his most recent album, 85 to Africa, has like kind of some far reaching feels in terms of rhythm. It's like there's almost some like Bob Marley stuff going on as well. Like he's got some like reggae sort of like, but more on the side of like African folksy stuff. I don't know. I love that that's happening. I just love it. I mean, obviously, he's not got anything in like 5, 7, and 13 on there. So it's not, I feel like those types of time signatures are (laughs) hard. I want to show it to Greek people. I don't exactly know how to get the music to them directly, but I Mm -hmm. really want them to hear it because I'm very curious I'll be honest, they are like who I'm the most curious about what they're going to think about the music. Because if you listen to current pop music coming out of Greece, it sounds pretty like standard pop music, but not, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a one little notch off from normal pop music. They use like crazy bass motions and stuff like that. And they do work weird accents into it. But I don't know. I would just be so curious. I'd love to show it to the whole Greek community and, you know, in Greece because Chicago Greek is different. They like American rock music. <laughs> they like American rock music. Yeah. <laughs> we should move on to the next song, Vacay. This was a this is probably my favorite song lyrically. Uh-huh. Uh, it it kind of lines up with a lot of like stuff that I, I like writing about myself <laughs> is like the idea of like quantifying a person and whether or not that's even possible you know Mm. like the idea of like can you just by like you know data mining is something Mm. that you mentioned explicitly or like someone's like digital representation like how much of that is actually Mm -hmm. like the real person yes 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 (laughs) yes 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 so what what inspired that song it sounds a little bit petty but i think it was about somebody trying to what triggered it was like somebody was trying to tell me what i'm like And Mm -hmm. on one hand, I'm like, you know, thank you. Somebody's got to hold the mirror up to me and tell me what I am like, blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, I was like, listen, X, you have not known me for more than a year of my life. And you've not seen me that whole year. You've only seen me like maybe once a week for that year. So like how much time we really spent together and you don't have the right to tell me what I'm like and then it's like you can't just point to these certain things and say and also talking like you know where I'm coming from you know like they were also how would you say like subscribing or assigning motives to why I was the way I was etc etc so it was kind of a defensive song in a but it was like a like a thoughtful defensive kind of thing and then getting frustrated and genuinely questioning if there was a self, I mean, that's obviously a very deep, large well, but a lot of what I'm questioning comes from that. It's like, okay, what part of me is me? What part of me is uncontrollable? And what part of my psyche is uncontrollable? You know, where is that Mm -hmm. line? I like to go find that line. There's also a specific, there's another specific line that I wanted to ask you about for this song because I just thought it was a really clever turn of phrase. Oh, pick your brain about the line that like stuck with me is the uh that's the problem with being the gatekeeper no one ever comes to stay you just (laughs) pass me by (laughs) and 
I feel like that's an interesting, a really interesting lyric because when I hear the phrase gatekeeper, to me, I think a lot about like, I don't know if this is what you intended, but like colloquially, like a gatekeeper in like a scene is like someone who's like determines who's cool and who isn't, who gets like led into the club and who isn't. And they're not they're lonely yeah exactly <laughs> they're lonely people who just stand by the gate <laughs> and their only interaction is you seeing if you can get to the other side of the gate <laughs> right like it, it, that sort of exclusive mentality is actually you're shutting yourself off from other people instead yeah that's how, that's how I read it at least I don't know yeah. if that was what you got going in so the line kind of before that or like one of the one of the lines going into that section. So which mm-hmm. this is a line in the section before is like, um, you know, you're so obsessed with the man behind the curtain. You're forgetting to the curtain. There is no behind it's fucking bars. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So it's kind of like then we're going we're zooming in on that curtain life mm-hmm. style. So basically the curtain is the gatekeeper and and this second little section here is now like an expansion. We're we're zooming in on that curtain's life. But the only lyrics of that section are that's the problem with being the gatekeeper. No one ever comes to say. And it's like if you only get brief little interactions with people, that's that's what that was about. It's just about that bittersweetness of like, you know, what if you are just the gatekeeper? And also like what if in some social situations you're just like maybe you're just the friend that connect is supposed to connect to other friends and then you're not a part of the equation as much anymore and you know i don't know a lot of feelings that go along with that but i i just wanted to leave it at that sure yeah no it's it, it you can i think it's sometimes important to let people have the space to interpret a line multiple different ways and to like the fact that it's as you said like it's the only lyric in that section gives people the space to work it over in their heads a bit as they're listening to the music. Yeah. You can kind of let the music convey the feeling where words can't sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a bit wonky. Honestly, the harmony in there is a bit wonky. I don't know if it's detectable, but it's wonky. It's sort of a purposeful wonky. What, What do you got going on under the hood there? Oh, harmonically. I feel like I'd have to look at my hands but the baseline, the baseline just has some like augmented intervals that you wouldn't expect. I think mm-hmm. in there where they would normally just be like fourths or fifths or or major six. I think maybe there's like a flat five or a flat six or something like that, making mm-hmm. it all sound a little bit like slightly atonal. But on the on in the middle of it, you've got pretty much just like triads that sound pretty clear and stuff like that so you just the mixed intervals of that weird baseline with the triads that's why i said i don't know if it's even detectable because i think it kind of passes as like just but that's what i love doing i love that because then i'm like ha 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 subconscious right. Bosh, it adds some, some spice on the the chords <laughs> yes. but people can still yeah you know, taste it for what it is i guess yeah 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 it's kind of to your point about like tweaking the cliches in some way, like finding some way to like subvert something that would be kind of a bit more obviously cathartic, you know, on yes. first listen. Yes. Wow. Wow. You speak so beautifully. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the final song is because of the way that you released the record. So for those who have it, who weren't following you prior to this podcast, you released each song individually leading up to the last track. Yeah. Um, and 
I actually really liked that format. It kind of like kept people engaged. It seemed like it kept people engaged for like you know, basically a whole month of listening yeah. to the record. Um, but yeah, I think it went well. As a result, I feel like I know the last song the least well because I had so much more time with each one going in. Mm-hmm. I did really like it. It it kind of feels like maybe a bit less playful and a bit more vulnerable than the ones before. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like angsty is my first impulse of what word to say. It's mm. just like flat out, flat out angsty. And yeah, not as, definitely not as playful, not as like forcing myself into good vibes or anything like that. And I think it was mostly just, it was like a sort of, feeling that was not directed at anybody else but a feeling that I was discovering within myself realizing that I still had so much consciousness left to uncover and um to master like so much of my I feel like I so I still had so much untapped focus and untapped consciousness that I was just letting be rogue you know just kind of rogue focus rogue consciousness that was maybe leading me to kind of like negative subconscious behaviors or tendencies or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was like scary. And it was, it was like kind of a fear of like, wow, I still have so much to wrangle and I've, and I'll never, I'll probably never stop. You know, I'm going to be continuing to try to wrangle all this until I die. And was this was this one of the songs that you were playing live in the uh, before going into the mm-hmm, studio? Mm-hmm. I think How this you... was actually the first one I started writing. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. How how do you feel like the audience responds to this one compared to the other three songs live? Um, they're usually just a little more still at the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty much how you think that they would respond, just like so it's just a little bit more like whoa. I mean, there's a mm. nice, like, halftime middle section that's got, like, major seven chords and feels sonically comfortable. It's still about the same discomfort, though. But I just didn't want to evoke as much of a feeling as discomfort while talking about it at that moment. Uh-huh. I think that sometimes it's okay to, like, talk about heavy things but just over kind of a fluffy sounding background i kind of like that juxtaposition can tell you why just do but and a lot wait actually a lot of people live now that when we go into that b section and we drop into that halftime with the major seven chords after that super kind of like dissonant a section a lot of people go oh when we drop into the b section <laughs> halftime that's pretty dependable actually that somebody will feel good about that beat drop but yeah, by the end, it goes back to a really kind of moody ending, super passionate, emotional, moody, kind of scared, angsty ending. So by the end, people are back to kind of a silent mm-hmm. vibe. Moody vibe. I'm always interested in the way that people like end their records and begin their records because I feel like you can learn a lot about like what the statement is by what it says at the very end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like the album 
like if if that's the conclusion of the record if that's like the climax and the conclusion how do you feel like it sums up or incorporates like how what what do you feel like it says as a final statement oh well the last lyrics are please pardon the evolution of my lucidity and also a big thing, the lyrics before that are, I used to step on the ground and not feel the earth. And I'm sorry if I ever made you feel like I could not see your worth. So I kind of come back to the lyrics that are at the beginning of that song. So basically, this is kind of like the most anxious song. And like any experience, you're never going to get through with just no, no anxiousness, no anxiety. So it's kind of just giving that anxiety like, a moment to be flushed out and a moment to breathe and so by the end of the song the whole song is that so by the end of the song it's kind of addressing all the concerns that were listed at the beginning of the song the little outro mm-hmm. is and I really did I liked ending with this song because I felt it was first of all I loved the introduction I feel like the intro is like such a cinematic masterpiece on Parker's part so I really wanted that to be highlighted also, I wanted to leave the door open at the end in terms of style-wise. So, like, mostly major. The other songs are mostly major to put it, like, to make it very simple. The other songs are mostly major, and this one is mostly minor slash other kind of, like, mixed modey vibes. And so I just knew that all the other songs, the shorter songs that I have to release coming up, are going to be a mixture of those two. And so I wanted to like bust that minor anxiety door down before just saying like, okay, I released this album. That's like four songs that are in major that are all kind of like boppity boopy. Yeah. Fun, fun. And then now she's like, got all these like moody songs, you know, I kind of wanted right. to, you wanted to create a bridge between yeah where you are and where you're going. Musically. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to definitely keep show that I have like a lot of other things that I'm trying to explore and that I'm, first and foremost it's about keeping the door open to all of those feelings and whatever might come Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the last lyric is is about allowing yourself the space to grow more (laughs) and that uh, also is sort of an artist statement in a way it's like this this is going to go other places yes yeah (laughs) exactly totally so where do you where do you see yourself heading musically for the uh, the next batch of songs that you're working on? Oh, well, I have a few. I'm still just like I'm still feel like I'm de- decompressing from releasing the album after it being like two years since we started recording to when we let it out. That was just like mm-hmm. such a I felt very confined in that process, but it was really good for me, and it was really good and in all in all, it was challenging but super good. And so now I still feel like I'm just kind of on the tail end of my decompression of that album. But what's been really, really fun is that me and Parker and Luke are playing music. We're making these trio songs together that are bangers. And we're going to start releasing those before I let out anything else. Biz Moody wise, we're going to be releasing those. So that's kind of been like a really fun way for me to get the juices back flowing, the writing juices. And, uh, we got a we've got kind of somewhat of a bonus track that we're gonna release soon 
Hey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Depending on know. when this podcast comes out, who knows? Maybe, maybe yeah, people yeah. already know. You can. It can be fine. Your listeners gonna be the first people to know that there is such thing as a Tifo Top bonus track. But yeah, hey. yeah. So that was actually Lambdaforms Radio exclusive. Hey, Lambdaforms Radio <laughs> VIP. Yeah. So I don't know exactly when that one's gonna come out, but not long. That's not long at all. That's very exciting. I'm I'm really pumped to hear and that. And I'm also making a um a music video for I guess currently. Sick. I'm Are you directing it, it yourself or what, what's the what's the So team everything's for that? yeah, I made it all myself. Everything's already shot. It's um takes place in Paris, France. So that's really fun and really cool. I love having Paris footage and thinking that knowing that Tipota vibes are all over Paris is amazing as well so that'll probably be done hmm hmm realistically let's give it let's give it three weeks so sometime in march yeah then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really cool i'm learning how to use premiere and that's just a very exciting experience that's kind of what i was talking about in terms of like leaving the door open artistically is like maybe mm-hmm. i'll just want to make videos for a long time but now I've got all these. I've got a bunch of other little songs that I've got all these video ideas for. Yeah. Quickly talking about like the visual component of the project. Mm-hmm. I I've loved that you ha- you're just in general and like apologies if this is like too like standing. But what I love about this album and all of the like social media like images that you've used to promote it is it, it feels like only you could have done this you know like it's so much like the ellie that i know like just like oh yeah of course like this these like completely batshit but like (laughs) ecstatic musical luscious huge bubbles that you're describing previously and then like the visuals are like exactly your blend it like feels like going over to your house or something and like ah that's so cool that's awesome well yeah i mean that's super cool i literally just following aesthetic compulsions. That's what I do. Mm. I've always been like, like spazzy, like can kind of anti-authoritarian, but not on a huge level. Just like in my own life, you know, just like slightly like, no, I want to do it my way. You know, I'm like, I'm a little sister. I was the youngest in my family, and kind of just like wanting to do everything my way. Loved colors. I just follow the compulsions. I just it's it's kind of weird it's like i i don't i really don't premeditate it that much like an idea will either just come into my head or i'll just open one of those photo apps and then i'll just get random inspiration for something but yeah i really don't i really wait for those true compulsions i think that's why it works is it doesn't feel premeditated it feels like off the cuff and like an honest expression of your interests like it doesn't feel like you're like aiming necessarily to please anyone but your own creative impulses and i think like that is palpable to people who fuck with it you know yeah that's that's cool i think it is too you know and i think it's like if i just keep following that vibe that speaks to me i feel like it's the kind of vibe that will touch the people that it needs to touch you know it's Mm -hmm. obviously not for everybody you know there's so much like cool minimalist stuff happening out there i've never been much of a 
minimalist maybe someday i'll have a minimalist phase and it'll be very dramatic and it'll be great but like but like one thing i want to that's always struck me in terms of following that little those creative voices is that like if i don't follow the voice that's being that's coming through me nobody else is ever going to have the opportunity to follow that voice so like Mm -hmm. i can always like i could try to be like anybody else or but also i do want to touch on the fact that there's a difference between quote unquote following what people want from you and there's a difference between that and being inspired by something because like i can see something that's quote unquote mainstream or you know whatever everybody's doing it or something and it still might inspire me and that's not really up to me to decide it's just whether or not i feel the inspiration from it but like Mm -hmm. i'll get just as inspired by like a dumpster as i might be by like ariana grande you know so just kind of taking that all in and just really listening really closely for what the inspired voices inside of me are trying to tell me and if i don't follow those voices those voices are only coming to me they're coming directly to me piped in from who knows where nobody else i i would rather live like nobody else is getting those voices and like i'm the only person who could possibly bring these ideas to life exactly as they are and and then sounds sort of like overly righteous and like overly glorified but i like it I also think that's like kind of inspirational, you know, like I think that that's what's like cool about being an artist is like no one else is going to have the exact mix of influences and interests, you know. Mm -hmm. And so like if I was like a young musician and even as like a, I don't know, 30 year old (laughs) musician, like I I feel like that's kind of where I've gotten to now, too. It's like if I'm making music, I want it to be like the exact combination of stuff that I can do, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to like limit that or hold that back for the sake of like, you know, it's like, it's, it's more about fear, you know, like I feel like a lot of people are afraid of putting their full mm-hmm. artistic self out there because it's like your ego is on the line, you know, mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. your point, like if every artist was more willing to do that, I feel like there'd be a lot of, a, a lot more really cool art out there. Yeah, well, nothing is ever as it seems. So, I don't know. You just have to be ready. I've had a lot of stuff happen in my life where things that, you know, anyone would, if you're told that when you're little, you'd think that that's the way it is. You know, that's just how it is. And then one day, somebody just tells you that actually that thing we told you when it's little, when you were little, it's not at all like that. It's actually totally different. And Mm -hmm. yep like everything can just change on a dime so like you have to be true you have to be true to your own creative impulses because like that's the only thing you have control over that's the only thing you're absolutely free to do and only you get those voices so only you're the you're the only person who can tell your story nobody else is going to tell your story fuck yeah do you want anybody else to tell your story no well i'm (laughs) glad that you were able to help tell part of your story here today on this podcast <laughs> oh my gosh um, yeah this was so cool this was like this is therapeutic this was amazing god thank wonderful. you yeah of course uh, and when your next project is ready hopefully uh, if you have the time i'd love to do it again yes 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 now i can't wait Thank you again for listening, and thank you to Eleni for joining me for this episode. You can find Ms. Booty 
at bismoody.bandcamp.com, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash bismoody, and on Instagram at bismoody. You can find more episodes of Lamniforms Radio on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lamniforms sounds. And you can follow me on Twitter at lamniforms underscore or on Instagram at Ian K. Corey. More episodes soon. Until next time.